you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. <laughs> Donald Trump can't get Mexico to pay for the wall? Hell, he can't even get Congress to pay for the wall. <laughs> what do you say, everybody? So good to see you. <laughs> Pardon me. And here we go on a Thursday, March 22nd. How about it? It is The Bill Press Show. Uh, we're just winding up, ready to go here for the next couple of hours. With all the news of the day, uh, snow shut down most of uh, Washington, D.C. yesterday and uh, actually most of the uh, northeast. Oh, God, thousands and thousands of flights canceled. Trains weren't running. Metro was running on a very reduced schedule here. Uh, And uh, any excuse to shut down. Uh, But Congress stayed in because uh, they were afraid uh, that if they uh, took a day off, they might not get their budget done before the high school kids from around the country roll into Washington for the big March for Life on Saturday. They want to be out of town. They don't want to be here to face the wrath of the students who are going to, who would definitely go after them were they in town for doing nothing about gun safety in the wake of the uh, Parkland, Florida massacre. Good to see you today. We got lots and lots going on. And Donald Trump under a triple threat. Yes, indeed, a triple threat from three women who will not go away. Uh, he thinks is in legal trouble with Robert Mueller. <clears throat> he ain't seen nothing yet. We'll rec- run you through the news of the day with our best guests today, including Congresswoman Sherry Bustos from Illinois. And look forward to hearing from you as to what it all means to you. Weigh in with your Twitter comments at BP Show. One comment of yours is worth any 10 or 12 or 20 comments from Donald Trump. So we want to hear from you on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. Believe it or not, Bill, the Obamas are still it. very, very popular. You know, a couple of weeks no, ago, I believe that. we talked about the uh, official portraits for the first... Uh, I haven't seen them yet. I want to go down and see them. Well, you better get down there soon because Michelle Obama's portrait, in fact, is so popular that they had to move it. They needed more space because they had it on one level Mm. of the National Mm. Portrait Gallery, Mm -hmm. and it's in a place that doesn't have the best Mm -hmm. uh, uh, sort of crowd control situations. They were saying, like, so many people are crowding around the Michelle Obama portrait that Mm. 
they announced earlier this week they have to move it. Due to the high volume of visitors, we've relocated Michelle Obama's portrait to the third floor and our 20th Century Americans gallery for a more spacious viewing experience. Now, where's Barack? Well, he's up in the whole area where all the presidents are. They have the whole, all the different portraits of the different presidents. Oh, okay. And then they have. There I are thought a couple they were together. Hmm. No, okay. I don't believe they're together. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you're right. But. He's in like one area where the presidents are, and then she's in a different location. But now they're moving her all together because where they did have her before, it was just way, way, way too crowded because so many people are hanging out uh, to to get a look at Michelle Obama's portrait. So now, again, it's on the third floor of the 20th Century Americans Gallery. So if you're coming here to see it, make sure you take note of the change. Thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, YouTube is good for a lot of things. One thing it's not very good at is some of the tutorials that they had on their, uh, on their website. Yesterday, they announced they are going to ban, ban videos that show people how to make guns. There were a couple of videos Duh. up there that were demos showing people how to assemble a firearm and uh, put certain gun accessories and things like that. You could you could build different sort of modifications yeah. for oh, your gun, God. and people were showing you how to do it on YouTube. Yesterday, YouTube says, no more. No more. And one final, one, <laughs> one final story. We go to Kenya where we say farewell to Sudan. Sudan was the last... Living male white rhino. Well, he is no longer with us. He passed away at the age of 45. They had said he was the most eligible bachelor in the world. But no more. He he passed away earlier this week. Again, 45 years young for Sudan. Sad kinda, story, man. It is a sad story. It could be the end of the line. Could right? be the end of the line. I know. It was hard finding him a mate. You know, not, not, not many bars for white rhinos. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. He's at it again. Yes, indeed. Donald Trump at it again on the attack on Twitter this morning. His latest target, Vice President Joe Biden. What? Hey, hello, everybody. On a Thursday, March 22nd. How about it? Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. This is the Bill Press Show. And we are raring to go here with so much to talk about on a Thursday uh, with all of you coast to coast all across this great land of ours north south east west we're with you with the news of the day our great guests today and of course all of you making up the team thanks so much for being part of the program as we reach out to you online on YouTube youtube.com slash the bill press show uh, and our podcast of course if you miss everything on YouTube in the morning is available at billpressshow.com throughout the day Looking at you on Free Speech TV as well. Great to see you there, coast to coast. And uh, in Indiana, on Indiana Talks, and out in the greater Chicago area, the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Here we are. And remember, I am headed your way, Chicago. Here I come, April 4, Wednesday, April 4, market down the great Frugal Muse bookstore in Darien, Illinois. You'll hear some spots on WCPT uh, telling you exactly what time and how to call up and make sure or email to make sure you get a spot uh, to come out and say hello all about my uh, new book, The Bill Press Show, 
from the left, Life in the Crossfire. Anyhow, great to have you with us today. Yes, indeed, the top stories. So much to talk about, but uh, Donald Trump still defending his call, congratulating Vladimir Putin on a free and fair election. What? When his opponent was jailed so he couldn't run against him? Hey, man, that's free and fair. That's the way Donald Trump thinks of yeah, exactly. free and fair. Yeah, remember, lock her up, lock her up. That's what he wanted to do. That's right. Congratulating Putin because he was able to do it. Uh, Donald Trump in triple legal trouble uh, from three women, some reservos, uh, Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, uh, all of whom have now sued uh, the president for his hush money uh, or uh, trying to shut them up or for sexual harassment. Those, those, uh, he, he's in deep, deep legal jeopardy there. That's why he is lawyering up to help him uh, fight these battles. Uh, the Congress did pass the budget yesterday. Uh, it uh, goes to the, I think it still has to go through the House, but it then goes down to the uh, president. But uh, Paul Ryan is on top of it. It's going to get to the president's desk. You should uh, feel better but because the Congress spent $1.8 trillion of your money yesterday. I know I feel so much better knowing that they were so cavalier with $1.8 trillion of my money. I'm sure you do, too. Yeah, that's why we elect them, right? It's just to throw our money at the Pentagon. The more money they throw at the Pentagon... The better off we are, yeah, if you believe that, too bad for you. And President Trump, out out again this morning, early already, taking on yet another yet another political opponent on Twitter, uh, Vice President Joe Biden. We'll get to that. For first, just got to say one thing. It is over in Austin. We mentioned this yesterday. It was yesterday morning. The police found that they saw that red pickup truck. And they closed in on it. The young man, um, the suspect, and he, he's the guy, the killer, uh, detonated the bomb, killed himself, injured one policeman. Uh, fortunately, fortunately, I'm sure he p- blew that bomb off because he wanted to take down a few police officers with him, did not succeed. Uh, but you got to say, the and salute, first of all, here's the, the police chief of uh, Austin who I thought really stepped up to the plate. Um, po- police, pol- got his name. Brian Manley. Brian Manley. How Brian could Manley, I forget? Yeah. Brian Manley. Thank you. Many members of the Austin Police Department <laughs> approached his vehicle, and as they got to the window and began to bang on the window, what you can see on the video is a tremendous explosion that takes place, and you see our officers fall backwards from the blast, and then ultimately it ended in the officer-involved shooting. But it was such a—we're learning more and more about this case. It was such a—just want to salute them. We, sh, we all should. The extraordinary work that these law enforcement officers did. And they came in from all over the country. The best experts anywhere zeroed in on Austin to help the Austin Police Department track this guy down. And it's incredible the way the, the real keys were the surveillance video— from going into that FedEx store, wearing a wig, by the way, wearing a disguise, but also, and, and, and so these surveillance cameras, it's so important. They were able to get him driving away in his red pickup truck, and they couldn't get the, they didn't see the license, they couldn't get the license plate, whatever the angle of the camera, but they knew the color of the, color of the truck or the SUV. Uh, how, I've heard it described both as SUV or pickup truck. I think it was an SUV. It yeah, it like looked a, like it had a back over it, so yeah, yeah I think yeah. it was an SUV. But and, at any rate, but they knew the model of the car, the make of the car, the year of the car, 
and the color of the car. There are not that many. They were able to at least get that universe and then start narrow it down. Uh, and then also the guy was wearing pink construction gloves, which they re- they figured out are sold at Home Depot. So then they go to the Home Depots and they get all the surveillance cameras from the Home Depots and they start looking at people buying pink construction gloves. It was an incredible amount of police work led by the FBI. And again, got to say it, while the president of the United States is out attacking the FBI, here's a city, a police department that needs help. And who do they turn to and where do they get the best possible help on the freaking planet from the FBI. You know, now, yeah, there's some bad characters in the FBI, like there are bad characters in the Army or in the Marines. But, you know, to attack the FBI as an institution the way Donald Trump has done, uh, just because the FBI happens to investigating him for potential criminal activity is disgusting, it's outrageous, and all Americans should be offended by it. Uh, and I think this Austin case is it's just a good case to say, hey, lay off big guy, right? Yeah, seriously, man. Yeah. Look, we call we shut the f up. We, <laughs> we call out the police force when they don't do a good yeah, job and we'll, yeah. we'll 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 give them Continue that to they do, do a, so, and, and right? We'll give, them, we'll give them praise when they do a good job. Yeah, when they this shoot unarmed job. black kids, right? Yeah. We'll yes. call them out for it. Yes. And absolutely. defend their officers who do that. We'll call them out for it. Yep. So, yeah. But in this case they really did come through incredible uh, good, good good work and again led by the FBI. And meanwhile, speaking of the guy who's attacking the FBI, yeah, he's attacking uh, Joe Biden this morning. So uh, Vice President Biden has said this before, and we know Joe. We love Joe. Joe makes comments like this. He's the scrapper from Scranton, right? So he was down in Florida, I think, or somewhere. Yeah, he was in Florida. Yeah, uh, giving a talk, and uh, he was asked whether he'd like to debate. I mean, remember... Uh, as a senator, Joe Biden, one of his great achievements, the Violence Against Women Act, which, if you will, is sort of the foundation on which the hashtag Me Too movement is built, because that legislation has been around a long time, and it does provide women a lot more uh, opportunity to bring cases uh, against those who uh, sexually assault them uh, or sexual harassment. So uh, Joe Biden was asked whether he'd like to debate uh, the guy who is now out there accused by 20 women of sexual assault. And Biden? Biden said, uh, quote, a guy who ended up becoming our national leader said, I can grab a woman anywhere and she likes it. They asked me if I'd like to debate this gentleman, and I said no. If I were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. <laughs> and then he said, and he goes on, I've been in a lot of locker rooms my whole life. I'm a pretty damn good athlete. Any guy that talked that way was usually the fattest, ugliest SOB in the room. Hmm. That kind of describes Donald Trump, doesn't it? My God. <laughs> that is. Well, that's but a you shot. know, it is sort of classic. It's classic Joe, right? It really is. Well, uh uh-uh, uh, man. Donald Trump, the one thing he can't do, he cannot just ignore any criticism whatsoever. It doesn't matter. Whether it comes from a school kid or a politician or a Republican or a Democrat or an American or non-American, the fact anybody who criticizes him, right, he's got to go after them. And so he's out there this morning, just a few minutes ago, just before we came on the air, uh, my phone goes off. Here's Donald Trump tweeting me. Trump says, uh, crazy Joe Biden is trying to act like a tough guy. Actually, he is weak, both mentally and, <laughs> both mentally and physically. 
both mentally and physically. So what does that mean? I don't know. It's schoolyard crap. I mean, it's just like Maxine Waters, low IQ. First of all, first of all. Rex Tillerson, yeah, we ought to take an IQ test. First of all. uh, Uh, Mentally? Joe Biden's one of the smartest people I've ever met. You want to put Biden and Trump next to each other and uh, test them both mentally and (laughs) physically? I would... I would welcome that if I was. By Joe the way, Biden. mentally and physically. Yeah, my well, money's on Joe Biden. Well, easily, easily. Can you imagine Biden and Trump with a, like a serious debate on the issues? Oh my God! This no. guy who doesn't even know what the nuclear triad is. <laughs> right. Okay. Let me let me, let me finish oh, yeah, this tweet. Yeah, right. yeah, Actually, right. he is weak both mentally and physically, and yet he threatens me for the second time with physical assault. <laughs> he doesn't know me. But he would go down fast and hard, crying all the way. Don't threaten people, Joe. Like, come on, grow up again. Grow come up. on, Snowflake. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So seriously, I'd like to. I'd like to see that. Uh, I'd like to see that. Uh, that that little little match. At any rate, well, um, Donald Trump. Uh, the. Kind of closed down yesterday. There was no briefing at the White House, uh, no public activities because of the snow. A good excuse to keep everybody out. Uh, but it didn't stop the uh, uh, little turmoil down at the White House. The latest flap is over. <laughs> a telephone call. Uh, what, what, what could have been just a nothing burger, really, uh, if Donald Trump had only listened to the advice of his staff. Uh, but he didn't. So uh, we know that Vladimir Putin had this engineered election to give himself another six-year term on Sunday. Uh, We saw, we talked about this yesterday, we saw the video of their stuffing the ballot boxes. We know that the one guy who was going to run against Putin was thrown in jail so he couldn't run. So this was hardly a free and fair election. Uh, Despite that, by the way, Putin only got 76% of the votes. I mean, mean, any American candidate would die for that but still you'd think he'd come in with 98 or 90 95 98 percent so at first the white house said uh everybody else called putin and that's why i said no we're not going to call him to congratulate him that's sham sham of an election uh-uh well that was one day the next day donald trump does call him uh and he told us he told the reporters how uh, how happy he was to talk to vlad yeah i had a uh, call with president putin and congratulated him on the victory, his electoral victory. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, and su- by the way, surprised the hell out of his staff because uh, this was not supposed to be part of the call. And he didn't tell anybody ahead of time he was going to do this. Uh, he invited Vlad to get together and have a summit meeting. And Vlad agreed. And the president said, we're going to get together in the very near future. Everybody in the White House, starting with the White House chief of staff, looked at each other and said, what? Well, again, there were reports last night that the White House was just, as you mentioned, the staff there were just like, floored. What? Yeah, floored. What is he doing? Yeah, there was no talk about a meeting. There was no talk about a summit. There was no preparation ongoing for it. But the big news was is that (laughs) he not only congratulates Vladimir Putin again on a totally phony election, but he countered and went against the advice of his top aides who ever prepared the briefing book. And one would think it would have to include the chief of staff and the secretary of state or the incoming secretary of state, George Pompeo, or the national security advisor, 
but we're told this that there are capital letters on the page. Do not congratulate him. Which means he's definitely going to congratulate him. Right. Which means either he didn't read it because he can't read or he just ignored it. Right. Uh, which does tell you something, however, that you can't blame that leak on the media. You can't blame that leak on the media. That leak to the media came from somebody in the White House who is pretty high up. That was not some junior staffer. This is the ultimate page that goes in front of the President of the United States when he's picking up the red phone to talk to the head of the uh, head of Russia. There are not a lot of people who see that piece of paper, and there are not a lot of people who handle it. Uh, but it just shows, I think, the turmoil and the dissatisfaction and the lack of trust inside the Trump White House for Trump the president. Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting. We, Within we, minutes of that phone call, yeah, that yeah. was leaked that to was the out. media that he had gone against the best advice of his, of his top staff. So, like, there have been some reporting talking about how all the staff shakeups and all the exoduses from the White House really aren't phasing Trump because what he really wants is a really, really, really close-knit group of advisors so that the leaks will stop, basically. So he doesn't have yeah. a, like, you know, every president has yeah. a, a machine that surrounds them uh, that helps them get their stuff done. But Donald Trump doesn't want that. He wants to close it off to just a handful of his closest advisors. But to your point, yeah. you could get it down to, what were there, maybe four or five people? Yeah, I was going to say max half a dozen. Max. Max. Yeah. I mean, people, I'm sure, contributed to sure. what he might want to talk about or not talk about. But those who see the final product yeah. for the president's eyes only yeah. have to be Half a dozen or less. So we get it down to that. Let's let's say it's six people. Let's let's get yeah, it down to that. Yeah. Even if he's got it down to that, he can't stop the leaks. Right. Yeah. One of whom is the chief of staff. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Can't blame it on Steve Bannon anymore. No. Mm-hmm. One of whom former uh, staffer Steve Bannon. <laughs> a former one is probably uh, by the way uh, Jared Kushner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other guy's the guy who actually hands in the book, who used to be Rob Porter, but of course he's no longer, the wife beater is no longer there. Sure. So, you know, I, I'm, oh, yeah. I mean, there are leaks in every White House. There's never been, never in the history of the presidency, never in the history of the modern presidency for sure, have there been as many leaks out of any White House as, again, as, as out of the Trump White House. And this is the man who, who is paranoid, obsessed with stopping leaks, and there are more leaks under him than anybody else. Again, that, which that shows the level lot. of distrust. Yeah, that, that's exactly among the what people who are working for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This know? is his closest group of advisors, and even they are concerned about yeah. how he's handling his job as president. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so that's uh, a trouble on uh, on one front. By the way, a trouble. You know, related to that, in terms of speaking of media, we have to mention this. Um, Ralph Peters, you probably you've seen him on uh, on Fox TV. He's you know he's that nerdy looking 
look. He looks like he looks like. Oh, I'll get in trouble on this. Oh, anyhow. man, come but he, on. Okay, I'll stop. He is nerdy looking. Okay, all right. He all looks right. like a guy you would never want to have a beer with, right? I think that's fair. A foreign policy sort of expert, very conservative, but but you know not crazy, right? Uh, on on Fox News and uh, has been there for maybe. 15, 20 years, I think. Been there a while. Long time. Yeah. Uh, and one of their go-to guys, particularly on foreign policy on Iraq, he's a big supporter of the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, uh, and a conservative foreign policy advisor. Not as crazy, certainly, as John Bolton. But Ralph Peters yesterday just hung it up. He told Fox he was not going to renew his contract, uh, uh, which I think comes up maybe next month. But he wasn't even going to wait that long. He was just quitting. He was never going to appear on the air again because he said, Fox News has become nothing but a propaganda network putting out the and repeating the lies and the propaganda of the Trump White House. Very, very strong statement. Uh, he didn't intend it to go public. He did it as an internal email to the people that he r- relates to and deals with at Fox. Uh, uh, but somebody there, again, leaked it out, uh, and uh, he, he couldn't deny it. He said he used to be, um, used to be proud of the network, but I cannot be part of the same organization anymore, even at a remove. He said, meaning he couldn't even appear on there uh, and um, pretend, right, that he just disagreed with what Fox was doing. Uh, he said that the that the Fox News time primetime anchors didn't mention any names. <clears throat> Sean Hannity, <laughs> quote. Dismiss facts and empirical reality to launch profoundly dishonest assaults on the FBI, the Justice Department, the courts, the intelligence community, and not least a model public servant and genuine war hero such as Robert Mueller. I love it, man. Yeah. I love it. Ralph Peters. Resigning from Fox News. By the way, I mean, so, this is not, that's not new for Fox News. They've been doing this for years and years and years. But oh, I yeah, think that his yeah. point is the level that it's at now is worse than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And, like, at some point, you just got to gotta say, like, what am I doing? I know. Yeah. Right. What am I doing? Because you're going to go down as a laughing stock with them. Yeah. Uh, and, by the way, uh, Mark Zuckerberg says he's sorry. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, 50 million Americans. Yeah, we stole your data. Mm-hmm. We gave it to uh, Cambridge Analytica, and they gave it to the Trump campaign. No, I'm sorry. And, you know, yeah, yeah, but, uh, By yeah. the way, it took him Unbelievable. like- Unbelievable. It took him like four, five, four or five days yeah. Yeah. to come to up with- To even say that. That? Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd be willing to testify in Congress. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> You bet. <laughs> you might not get a choice, yeah, dude. Yeah, we'll subpoena your ass, right? I mean, God. Yeah. I, I've had it with this guy. Yeah. I really have. I'm over it. I'm over it. 68%, I saw a figure last night, 68% of Americans on Facebook. They yeah. rule the world, right? Yeah. They exercise a little responsibility over the private data that people entrust with you, right? One would think that they would have built in those firewalls a long time ago. I, you know, I'm a little embarrassed that, I mean, I think we all saw what Facebook could become in the sense that th- this is this is the natural progression of where Facebook would go, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, uh, I've said this before, right? You, it, they have the, the membership of probably the largest country in the world. 
right? When you look at everybody that's on Facebook, the only difference yeah. is yeah. they know way more about you than any other government does. That's right. right. They know what you like, what you're watching, yeah. Yeah. where you yeah. like to eat, uncanny, where you live. They have what they all of this information. Right. And it really is like, look, giving a third party that much access to your personal life can only end badly. Right. And here we are. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about uh, the legal troubles that uh, uh, Donald Trump is still in with Robert Mueller because no matter how much he attacks him, that investigation just continues uh, on, a, on a double front of, of looking at possible collusion with the Russians and also possible obstruction of justice. Uh, a lot lately about the um, a legal threat that may even be more immediate and more serious for Donald Trump, and that is the triple legal threat from three women who are suing him. Now, this is as president of the United States. This is over and above those 19 women who accused him of sexual harassment uh, during the presidential campaign and before. Um, These are women who have not let go, and Donald Trump has tried and tried and tried to squelch them and has been entirely unsuccessful in doing so. Uh, As most, most recently, earlier this week, when this woman, Summer Zervos, who was a reality TV star, part of The Apprentice, uh, has sued him in superior court for sexual harassment. Uh, the president's attorneys were in court saying he's president of the United States. He should not be subject to a silly lawsuit like this. And the judge threw them out and said, hey, he may be president. He's not above the law. This, there's some serious matter here, some serious allegations, uh, enough evidence to go forward for a trial. And she ordered that to move forward at the same time. You've got former porn star. Is she still a porn star? I don't know. But I don't know if she's still doing porn. Whatever, certainly. Uh, Stormy Daniels, <coughs> pardon me, who um, is suing to get out from under $130,000 hush money payment that Donald Trump made to her through his attorney, Michael Cohen. And now uh, this Karen McDougal, who will be on Anderson Cooper tonight at 8 p.m., uh, a former Playboy model who is suing Trump and the Inquirer to get out from a $150,000 hush money payment made to her. So these these three cases are simultaneously going forward. No wonder Donald Trump is lawyering up. Uh, And just one final comment on that. So, Peter, you mentioned this yesterday. One thing that Stormy Daniels tells Anderson Cooper, apparently, in the interview, which will air on 60 Minutes Sunday night, is that they had unprotected sex. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know, which is yeah. banish the yes, thought. Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. But what got me thinking about this yesterday uh, is I thought he said he was a germaphobe. Okay, I all right, all right. I now, talked about this earlier this week. Yeah. Uh, because he's a total freak. He says he's a germaphobe, which is why... The Christopher Steele dossier, which says he did this kinky thing with the prostitutes in the Moscow hotel room on the bed where Barack and Michelle slept, he said that could never have happened because I'm such a germaphobe. Yeah. Uh, Well, (laughs) the possibility that Donald Trump may have contradicted himself. (laughs) Right. Or be caught in a lie. Shock. Shock. Yeah. Perry's the thought. No, I think think the whole germaphobe thing might be selective at best if it's even true i'll put it that way yeah yeah i smell a rat baby uh at any rate and big news here on the uh on the local front 
Rick Saccone has finally conceded that he lost in Pennsylvania's 18th congressional district. What does that mean for other Democrats running around the country in this big midterm election year? And what happened with that budget deal yesterday in the Congress? Our good friend, Congresswoman Sherry Bustos from Illinois, standing by to join us next here uh, on the Bill Press Show. Quick break. We'll be right back. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. How about it? Here we are on a Thursday, March 22nd, uh, recovering from the first snowstorm of spring. (laughs) We didn't have any snow all winter. Wait until the first day of spring for it to snow here in Washington, D.C. Kind of figures, I guess, somehow. Uh, Things here are so screwed up. It is great to see you today. Thank you for joining us as we boom out to you all the way across this great land of ours from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., joining you online, on the radio, on television, on every possible platform we can. Uh, And so proud to welcome back to the studio a good friend from Illinois' 17th Congressional District, uh, Congressman Sherry Bustos. Congressman, always good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate you having me. We uh, we have a special treat for you today. I hope you consider it a special treat. What is it? Uh, I brought in a copy for you of my awesome. new book. Is it signed? It will be before okay. you leave. All right. Okay. From the left, life in the crossfire, uh, and of course, as I've mentioned to you, you can get your copy, a signed copy, by just going to our website at BillPressShow.com. The book is now officially out, so it's also in your bookstore, on Amazon, on BarnesandNoble.com, or whatever. Uh, but uh, if you go to the website, BillPressShow.com, I'll sign it for you. I've been, I've been doing nothing but signing books and boom, getting them out there to you. So it's out. And this I is I like the yours. picture on it, too. You look awesome on the well, cover. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. And it's got uh, some uh, little blurbs from some of our good friends here, including Bernie Sanders on the front, Nancy Pelosi and Jerry Brown, and Rosa DeLaro on the back. Awesome. And so, uh, well, I we'll am reading to... three books between the, uh, tomorrow and the next two weeks. So you're, you, now you will uh, be on my list. I'm on the... I'll give you a review next time I'm back. Uh, all right. There you go. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and I'll sign up for you before Great. you leave. Thank you, Bill. So uh, I mentioned just before the break, what do you know, Rick Saccone, after Donald Trump already called him a loser, uh, announced that they had lost the election, Rick Saccone, the Republican nominee a candidate up in Pennsylvania's 18th, uh, finally conceded. Uh, and Connor Lamb's going to be our next congresswoman, congressperson from that district. Uh, what did we learn uh, in Pennsylvania 18, Congresswoman? That if you have a candidate who fits the district and works hard and has the resources to get his or her messaging out, um, you can win these things. You know, the I mean, you, you've talked about the, the background on this district, but the fact that Donald Trump had won it by 20 points and now yeah. we have a Democrat who was just elected. Uh, Connor Lamb came in this week to, to meet with our caucus. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Yeah, oh, cool, just, cool. Um, a, a, it was the first time I had met him in person. Uh, we, we had talked by phone. Um, yeah. I sent him a, a little contribution to, to help out. But no, I know you were you were you were key in that. You were a big supporter. Well, I, I mean, of this. I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was key, um, but we certainly but kept in there. contact yeah, with one another yeah, and no. um, gave him any advice that I could offer. And winning in a in a swing district, just kind of like the district that I have, and um, just r- really a remarkable young man. But you know, his military background, his um, his law background, the fact that he had a family name that was recognizable for many generations in that district. Um, and not only just a family name that was recognizable, but a, a family name with a good reputation. Mm-hmm. And um, so Donald Trump won your district by how many? Well, it, it, he didn't win it by a large uh, margin, but it was but, it was an 18 point swing 
from when President Obama won it four years earlier. So it was so yeah, uh, startling still. in a district like mine yeah. is, I mean, think about that, an 18-point swing in a matter of one election cycle. Yeah, yeah, um, no, that's and then, and then the the difference there is, um, and then I ended up winning by 20. So so that's, you know, yeah. I mean, it was just, we Good don't have a you. whole lot of uh, Democrats serving in Trump districts. Mm-hmm. Now we've got, uh, let's see, 13 with Connor Lamb. Uh, we had 12, and... Uh, but in, in my case, the, the fact that about one in every five voters that went to the polls voted for Donald Trump and voted for me, it's kind of like, what in the heck's going on there? Right. Uh, I saw this morning an article that, um, uh, first of all, in the article, of the most recent article I saw about Pennsylvania 18, you were quoted as saying, we have Connor Lambs uh, in many districts across the heartland or something yeah, similar yeah. to that. Uh, a headline this morning in an article um, that I saw, nine districts from the Axios, nine districts shift toward Democrats after the Pennsylvania election. So is this a model that you see we can, uh, Democrats can take to other districts? Yeah. And, and what I other, meant by... Maybe red or purple districts? Yeah, by districts? the swing districts, yeah. yeah. I mean, what I meant by that we have Connor Lambs all over the heartland is that, um, and it's not that like these candidates are mimicking Connor Lamb, but they are like Connor Lamb in the sense that they fit their districts like a glove, yeah. and and that is what I meant by that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let, let me start so with so important. It, it's very important. You know, we just we just had Illinois primary, <laughs> the Illinois primary election yep, on Tuesday, Tuesday. and um, I'll, I'll just give you a few examples out of that. Brendan Kelly, um, he's running in Southern Illinois. He's got a military background. He's a prosecutor. His views are in line with a Southern Illinois district. And how do I know that? Because I'm the only Democrat in the entire Illinois congressional delegation who represents a district in downstate Illinois. Yeah. I'm very, very lonely. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want more Democrats. But but Brendan Kelly can win this. He is, um, you know, I, I, I don't like money in politics as much as, you know, we all can't stand it. But you got to have the resources to win these things. Yeah. And has outraised his incumbent opponent. That's not easy mm. to do. The only way you do that is you resonate with people uh, and you work your rear end off and um, people see promise in you. They see hope So in he's you. A, a running against an incumbent Republican. He, in he will, yes. He won the primary uh, won the prim- um, on yeah, Tuesday. Right. Now he'll run against an incumbent Republican. And yeah. that's how we're going to, you know, we've got to pick mm-hmm. up these seats in order to win back the majority. We now have a 23-vote minor, uh, you know, deficit in the House with Connor coming in, uh, we had we had a 24 oh, right. vote deficit. Yeah. So we we've got to pick up 23 additional seats now, and um, and then and then some. So uh, we and can then get, so some we, to have so a little margin of done. comfort, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. And and Bill, I well, I think part of it not just having these great candidates, but that uh, we as Democrats, even incumbents, can go out and talk to people and say, um, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Independent or Moderate Republican. You know, take a chance on us because we can turn things around. Washington, D.C. is dysfunctional. Just before we went on the mm-hmm. air here, I yeah. said, I've, in my short time in Washington, I've never seen it this dysfunctional. I mean, things are just not getting done. You know, you said a key phrase there, which is uh, give us a chance and we can get some things done. That, to me, is what's missing today. I mean, this gang doesn't want to get anything done. I mean, I, you know, they said that, okay, well, I want to talk to you about the omnibus bill that Donald Trump may sign it. And that would be the only major legislation he would sign this year. Last year, they had one bill, right, which was a tax cut bill. I mean, this this is a 
Harry Truman ran against the Do Nothing Congress. Yeah, right? the, I, what this would you call is this? The ultimate. <laughs> I, I, do what's con- worse than do nothing? I don't know what that word would be, but but um, they, people don't. Yeah. Some people, particularly on the other side, they don't come with the idea of solving problems, right? Fixing well, things. And let's even look at this omnibus bill that we're going to be voting on today or tomorrow. We got it at eight o'clock last night. Okay, eight o'clock last night. It's a two thousand two hundred and thirty-two page bill. Right. That we are supposed to be voting on today or because, tomorrow. Because the government runs out of money tomorrow at midnight. Exactly. And so you get it Wednesday at midnight or so, 10 o'clock. So even on top of the do nothing, there's this lack of transparency. We have 435 members of the House, and, and yet we haven't been brought into this uh, go, going through the proper committee process. Um, you know, I, I had this uh, probably um, ridiculous notion that when I was first elected that that I was going to come out to Washington and we'd sit around um, into the night and talk about policy and have Democrats and Republicans in the same room. And, you know, it just does not happen. <laughs> and, um, you know, our pe- people yeah. back home, they, they deserve a heck of a lot better than what they're getting right now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and, and are you comfortable that in, in these possible pickup districts that we have a candidate? First of all, we have a candidate in every district. We are in play in more than 100 districts. I kid you not. Whoa. Mean, you need to we've win got, 23 we, and in play in more than 100. I want to win a heck of a lot more than 23. Yeah, right, and, but, I th- and I think we have every opportunity to do that. And keep in mind, I was vice chair of recruitment last election cycle for the, all of the, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. And um, there wasn't one time when I said, we are going to win back the House. I never said that last cycle. I just I wasn't feeling it like I'm feeling it now. Mm-hmm. Connor Lamb. Um, was a huge psychological boost, uh, not just to our candidates, but uh, to to our party. And uh, yeah, I think we're going to do really well because we have people like Brendan Kelly, um, Abby Finkenauer in Iowa, uh, blue collar background, uh, first in her family to graduate college, um, awesome person. I, I call her the most coachable candidate I've ever mm. worked with. I mean, she listens, she just absorbs information, keeps wanting to get better. Angie Craig out of Minnesota. Um, Alyssa Slotkin out of Michigan, uh, Paul Davis out of Kansas. I mean, th- these are people, again, who fit their districts um, perfectly. And I think people, uh, Democrats and um, reasonable Republicans and independents are going to vote for them. And we're going to win these seats and many more. Back to Illinois for a second. The story this morning, I saw a headline this morning, didn't have a chance to read the whole story, that, that um, for turnout among Democrats in Illinois Tuesday was exceptionally high. Now, part of that was there, there were a lot of contested primaries and, and it brought people out. But does this bode well for November uh, and getting rid of Bruce Rauner? Yeah, I think that's the backstory. Now, keep in mind, um, what, while in some of the congressional districts there weren't as competitive of primaries um, as on the Democratic side, but at the top of the ticket, there was a very competitive <laughs> governor's race, both yes, on the Democratic yes, and Republican yes, side. Right. And in, in district after district in Illinois, there were thousands more Democratic ballots that were t- pulled than there were Republicans. Um, there is this, um, and, I'm, and I'm feeling it when I'm home, even in my swing district, there's an enthusiasm gap, hmm. um, and the Republicans are on the short end of that right now. Democrats are fired up. And, um, and, and again, even I, I think independents and reasonable Republicans understand that, that this is not right, what's going on right now, and we've got to get things working right again. Right. Um, what is happening uh, if uh, so this Saturday, one of, 
some people said the reason that the, yesterday uh, the entire government shut down, except for Congress, that the members of Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell wanted to stay there because they wanted to get this budget omnibus bill, which we'll get back to again, mm-hmm. done and get out of town before the students come in on Saturday for the big march. Oh, well, hmm, mm. I just wonder. I, Paul Ryan hasn't told me that, but you got to wonder. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and good for these students. I, I, I was going to ask you, so what, does that, does that get down even like to your southern Illinois where people are into this, what happened in Parkland and want to see Congress do something? You know, um, w- w- you and I have talked about these yes. supermarket Saturdays that, Saturdays that I do where I just talk to people with, with no, you know, I just say, hey, what do you want me to know before I fly back out to Washington? And to my surprise, um, people are really up in arms about what happened in Parkland in my district. Now, mm. now keep in mind the NRA is is pretty popular in, in yeah, my yeah, neck of the woods, sure. and uh, you know it's it's guns are cultural uh, in in my area. And and believe me, I want to start out by saying, you know, hey, I am a defender of the Second Amendment. I don't know if that's overly popular with with your no, listeners, but, but I am a defender before, of it. But yeah, um, but but I'm also. It doesn't uh, mean the Second Amendment is absolute. It it, it means that we should have reasonable, uh, in my opinion, gun legislation, reasonable gun legislation. And I think that there is a willingness to take a look at, um, you know, the uh, the military grade weapons. Um, do those belong in the hands of an 18 year old? Uh, who could just walk into, um, for instance, a Walmart yeah. and and buy a, a a military style weapon? And I think we have to ask those questions. And and at minimum, Bill, we ought to be able to have a debate on the House floor on this. And um, and Paul Ryan ought to allow that debate. Um, I and I think there's very much a willingness to to take a look at banning these bump stocks, at uh, reasonable background uh, or um, criminal background checks. And this, you know, the no fly, no buy mm-hmm. bill, which is if you're on the terrorist watch list, you shouldn't be able to buy a gun. And, right. and the, none of those we've even been able to, to discuss on the on the House floor. Yeah, uh, Steny Hoyer, number two Democrat in the House yesterday, just said, you know, let's just start by having a vote. Mm-hmm. Right. Have He's a, right. Have, or have a debate. Yeah. Have a vote yeah. on the floor and see where we go. Yeah. And I, I think that you might go be Farther than people might expect you to go. Yeah, I, if, I, I if am. The opportunity to vote were actually given to at, Republicans and Democrats. Right. At minimum, let's debate this. And um, and I, but I am very proud of the students, as I know you are. Um, and I think they're the ones who are going to help bring about change. You know, they don't take the phoniness of a of a politician um, saying, you know, this is all a mental health problem. You know, they they don't accept that, and good for them. You know they they can see the uh, they can see the phoniness of some of the answers that they've been given. Yeah, I mean I love the the some the statement a couple of them have made and maybe I'm paraphrasing, but basically we don't need your thoughts and prayers. <laughs> you know? Well, okay, we got a lot. Yeah, thank you. That's good, but we need more than that, right? That's the what they're done. really saying. Get yeah. the job done. That's right. Um, the the um, this omnibus bill we skirted around a couple of times. So, um, do you think it it hasn't they haven't voted on it on the House, in the Senate yet, but they came to some agreement yesterday. So it's $1.8 trillion. This is on top of the $300 billion that they agreed in the last CR just to kind of keep things going. Uh, am I, am I, I saw this morning, so it's $80 billion more per year for the Pentagon uh, and 600, no, 21, 21, Billion for uh, infrastructure, so sort of that's that's the Democratic side, and the Republicans got the eighty billion for the Pentagon. 
and nothing for DACA, but also no money for the wall. Well, you know, and and that was back and forth. There, there's there's some border security, yeah, um, right. in there. Um, there's but, 641 million for new fencing. Yeah, yeah, fencing and and uh, not, electronic monitoring. Yeah, which is and, not a wall, but uh, yeah, I, I don't and, know. And it's Donald just, Trump wanted 24 billion for the wall. I guess overall, and, and you have for it, right? Look, you just got it last <laughs> night, so I can't be. Yeah. yeah, but overall, is this a deal that Democrats ought to be? be happy about, let alone the American people be happy about? Well, I, I wish I could um, offer a little enlightenment on this, but, it, but again, we got this thing at 8 o'clock yeah. last night. We were on the House floor. I got home, I don't know, about 11 o'clock last night because we had late votes. Um, and, and we're expected to vote on it today. Again, mm. with, with none of us being brought into the, the negotiation table uh, to figure out exactly you know, what should be in there, what shouldn't be in there. Um, I'm told there's some money in there for... Um, Rural broadband, at least for like a pilot program, that's that, that, that's, important that's to, very to. important to rural America. We have 23 million mm-hmm. Americans, believe it or not, who still don't have access to high speed Internet, which is just we, we've got to we've got to start paying attention to rural America. We really do. I don't want to see um, our smaller towns uh, be left behind. So so that's encouraging. I think there's some encouraging components in there. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, in any deal, there's going to be things that we like and don't like. I hope it's something that uh, we'll end up being able to get behind. Nothing for DACA uh, from what we've seen. So once again, coming to this, I think the fourth time in a row, coming to a, uh, a fork in the road, if you will. Okay, we're either going to do something about protecting these dreamers this time or we're going to put it off again. Uh, yeah. It looks like Democrats in the Senate agreed, well, okay, we'll put it off again. What? When are we going to finally... Well, um, and, and keep in mind, Paul Ryan had promised that we would be able to um, talk about this, at least to be able to debate it. And, and he has not followed through on that promise. And in the meantime, you have these kids who really only know America as their home, uh, who are living in fear right now. And I, I just think how where, whatever kind of congressional district uh, we come from or whatever re- region of the country we come from, you know, as, as, as um, Americans... I think we value treating people respectfully, and um, it, it, it's got to feel so wrong to just about anybody to say that, that kids who came to our country maybe when they were six months old or a year old, and now they're 20 or 30, that we're going to send them back to a, a country that they don't even know. And it's just, it, it's really heartless, and it's not, we're better than that. And we, we ought to be able to get this fixed. If there were a standalone DACA bill on the floor of the House, uh, do you believe it would pass? I think it depends on what's in the DACA bill. But um, uh, let's say just take the program that was in place and was not broken. I think there are enough Republicans um, who could get behind it. I think almost almost every Democrat, if not all Democrats, would get behind that. Uh, but but you know, Paul Ryan needs to follow through on his promise that he Absolutely. made. Absolutely, yeah. You um, one of the last times we talked uh, was just after you had held a uh, news conference. Uh, introducing some new legislation with uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand mm-hmm. and uh, I think Congresswoman Jackie Speer, your colleague as well, uh, on um, the following through on the Me Too uh, movement. Um, where do we stand? Is this a movement that's kind of run out of gas, or do you think it's oh, no. uh, <laughs> stronger than ever and has some real staying power? Well, it it, it has to have staying power. Uh, you know, it, it's not like sexual harassment just started. 
and um, or, or just ended. Yeah, or, or just ended for that matter. And and I think the what's what's positive about this is there, there's an awareness that uh, the the workplace isn't going to tolerate this kind of behavior. The bill that I introduced, I'm the lead sponsor of it. Uh, we wrote it out of our office in the House, and uh, Kirsten Gillibrand is the the lead on the mm-hmm. Senate side. But what it does is it calls for. Um, there's something called forced arbitration clauses, and I and I hate to get overly technical about it, but basically we've got 60 million Americans who uh, work in a place that have these forced arbitration clauses as, as part of their condition of employment. Probably don't even know it. I never knew if I had it or if I did or if I didn't. But what it does is if a person is a victim of sexual harassment, the option that she has under these um, forced arbitration clauses is to only go to an arbitrator within the workplace that is paid for by the employer mm. um, mm-hmm. and the the victim loses 82 percent of the time under that scenario and if the victim is sort successful a, a stacked deck really, it, it, it? It, it very much is and and the other part of that is the secrecy of it and and this is how sexual harassment has gone on for year after year after year sometimes decades in workplaces sometimes with the same, um, person who is uh, the the victimizer of sexual harassment, and um, because it, it as part of going through that arbitration process, of course, it has to be kept secret, so the victim can't go can't tell anybody mm-hmm. about it, oh, and, so, yeah. and, and so the person who's the harasser just keeps going. And in some cases, you've got boards of directors who don't know that the CEO was was a, a terrible sexual harasser. So, you, so what we're saying is. A victim should have a choice. If if he or she wants to go through, and it's mostly a she, wants to go through arbitration, fine. But if she wants a different remedy, she can seek a different remedy as well. Uh-huh. And this legislation now is? Well, here's good news. It has been endorsed by all 50 of our attorneys general, Republican and Democrats. They wrote a letter to Speaker Ryan saying that they endorse this. Um, Microsoft, you know, a huge company, endorsed this, publicly endorsed this. Um, we are. I hope that more companies and any anybody who is running a company, please take a look at this legislation. It's called ending sexual harassment in the work uh, uh, forced arbitration in the workforce act. And uh, but take a look at this because it is not good business practice to have these clauses as part of the condition of employment. And um, you know the the best thing that um, somebody running a company could do is have a no tolerance for that kind of behavior. What impact does it have overall in the movement to have a president of the United States now being sued by three women on various charges of sexual well, a, I'm, assault I'm, or affairs or harassment or whatever? It's, it's you know across the board. Well, there's certainly a heightened awareness about how uh, this happens at the you know the at any level and you know during during the campaign you know look look what came out and we're going to be hearing from Stormy Daniels it sounds like on 60 minutes on Sunday and um, I certainly will be tuning in to to see what's going on with that I think it's going to be uh, maybe the most watched episode yeah, yeah. of 60 minutes maybe since Bill and Bill and Hillary Clinton were on you know, right, you might be right back Bill. in night, back <laughs> in 1992 sort of echoes right Was here. that that long ago my goodness I think the yeah, wow. it was right in a new just before the new, I believe, before the New Hampshire primary. Yeah. I remember watching it. <laughs> yeah, in, in '92, and um, uh, so this is Anderson Cooper with uh, with uh, Stormy Daniels. Yeah, uh, Sunday. Cut, Congressman. It's always great to see you. Thank, Thank you so you, much Bill. for coming in. Right, you're up to so many so many good things, important things. 
and a, a voice of reason there among some of the crazies in the uh, in the house, <laughs> well, I try. which we appreciate. <laughs> uh, and we know that you do not live in uh, a backward part of the country either, no, by the way, as was <clears throat> said by somebody. We don't have to get into that most recently. Uh, great to see you. Thanks Thank for you, coming in. And when we come back, uh, Alex Seitzwall is going to join us from uh, NBC News, and we'll take you through all the rest of the news of the day here on this Thursday edition of The Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say? It is Thursday, March 22nd, and Donald Trump is on the warpath against Joe Biden. He says he is mentally and physically weak. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'll match Joe Biden against Donald Trump on mental health or physical health anytime. On any level. On any level. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Great to see you today on a Thursday. Here we go. Thursday, March 22, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., right here on Capitol Hill and uh, about five metro stops away from the White House. We got it covered. Don't worry about it. We'll tell you what's going on here in Washington, around the country, around the globe, and give you a chance to sound off about it. Good to see you today. The big stories of the day. Yes, indeed. Uh, the Congress did pass that $1.8 trillion Omnibus spending bill yesterday. They were uh, fast and free with your money and mine. Uh, not necessarily all to the good. Donald Trump facing a triple threat of lawsuits from three women, uh, two of whom uh, accusing him of paying them hush money and one accusing him of sexual assault. Those lawsuits won't go away. And yes, Trump taking to Twitter this morning to attack former Vice President Joe Biden. Our job to tell you what's going on, your job to tell us what you think about it all. Send us your comments on Twitter. Don't be shy. You can say anything you want, and we'll appreciate hearing from you. At BP Show on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll get right into it, but first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news, Bill. We go to Kansas, where the Kansas Lottery had a winner a couple weeks ago. Someone won Uh a cool million dollars. Except here's the thing. When they were walking out of the gas station where Uh they purchased it, they dropped the ticket. Oh, no. And And then somebody found the ticket? Well, so here's the thing. They hadn't signed the ticket because they didn't know that they had won yet because the the winner happens later on. So the clerk found the ticket and then realized, oh, my God, I've got a winning ticket here. And again, because they hadn't signed the ticket, anybody could sign it and cash in the ticket to get the million dollars. But 
The clerk at the gas station kept it, tried to find out who the owner was. Lo and behold, the owner of the ticket came back into the station a couple days later, and they said, hey, by the way, here's your million-dollar ticket. Gave Mm. them the ticket, Mm. didn't keep it, which... Respect. That restores my faith in humanity a little bit. I, however, would have kept the ticket. We've we've established this before. Like I'm a total, yeah. Oh no, you've. Set, I'm a total rat. I would take it and keep it, and that million dollars is mine. Well, good for them. Yeah, isn't that great? Yes, and so, coming so, from strong gas station stock. That's it. My grandfather and my father, and I worked at my father's gas station. You see, people working gas stations are real. True Americans. So if you had worked at a gas station when this had happened, you would have saved yeah, the ticket and yeah. tried to give it back yes, to you. Yes, I would have tried. You. I found out who, which of our customers had that million dollars. Good for you. Good for you. And expect a big tip. You t- yeah, that's, that's the thing. We talked yesterday about how John Oliver has his new book about Marlon Bundo. Oh, yes. Vice President Pence's pet Little bunny. Gay bunny. Little gay bunny. So he put out a, a book where Marlon Bundo is a gay mm-hmm. bunny. Uh, well, we found out yesterday, Charlotte Pence, daughter of Mike Pence, she has actually bought the John Oliver book. <laughs> she was interviewed by The Hill. She's the one who wrote the other book. Yeah, she, she book. wrote the other one. So she told The Hill, quote, I have bought this book. Uh, John Oliver is giving proceeds of the book to a charity, and we're also giving proceeds of our book to a charity, so I think we can all really get behind it. So good for them for at least having a little bit of humor about this. Uh well, yeah. I'd like to see what her daddy says yeah, about the that, gay bunny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she she did it. She said it was all in the in the effort of doing something good for charity, which that was nice. Mike Pence has not commented on it yet. Uh yeah. We could ask Mike Pence who gets to make their a wedding cake. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. He is weak mentally and physically. That's what Donald Trump says about Joe Biden this morning. God, here we go. Another schoolyard. What? Why doesn't Melania take care of the schoolyard bully that's in the White House, right? I mean, if that's supposedly her issue, she'll get started. Stopping bullying starts at home. New slogan. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's Thursday, March 22nd. This is the Bill Press Show. Great to see you and good to have you with us on this Thursday. Booming out to you live coast to coast from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Yes, we thank you. Thank you for all your uh, concerns and your thoughts and prayers. Uh, but we did survive uh, the snowstorm uh, yesterday. Uh, made it through the first first snowstorm of spring. <laughs> I love that. No, no snow all winter long. First day of spring, what did we get? Three inches or something? I it depends. I mean, some areas got you know five or six inches. I mean, it was it was a real snowfall. It was, it was, a, it was a legitimate snowfall. Didn't didn't last long. Didn't Still last a little long. bit around, right? Well, and, it shouldn't. It's spring. I know exactly <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, just enough snow to shut the government down. But actually, one flake shuts the government down in Washington D.C. And of course, they get as much done when it's shut, when they're shut down as they do uh, when they are working. Uh, the Bill Press Show coming to you live on uh, online on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash/The Bill Press Show. Always remind you, don't forget to sign up 
if you're online uh, as part of the Bill Press team. So you hear from us throughout the day with little updates. And check out our podcast at YouTube.com, uh, I mean at BillPressShow.com. We are with you on Free Speech TV, and we're with you out in the Chicago area on the great WCPT in Chicago, the progressive voice of Chicago, and progressives from all over the Chicago area will be gathering on Wednesday, April 4, at the Frugal Muse, love the name of it, Frugal Muse Bookstore in Darien, Illinois, 6.30 p.m., where I'll be uh, out there in Chicago coming out just to see all of you uh, and talk about uh, my fun new book, Bill Press. From the left, Life in the Crossfire. You'll get all the details, uh, hear all the details on uh, WCPT, but hope to see you. Uh, come on out. We'll have a good time Wednesday evening, April 4. Uh, yes, indeed. Where do we start today? Got to start with this latest Twitter storm. Yeah, just before we start the show today, uh, we look up and here is Donald Trump attacking Joe Biden. I said right away to Peter, uh-oh, uh-oh, let's find out what this is about. What did Joe Biden say that set Donald Trump off? Well, it turns out that Joe was having some fun. He had, he kind of picked up something he had said before. I remember before uh, Donald Trump challenged him to a debate or something and, or, and, and Joe said, yeah, I'd like to take him out behind the woodshed and knock the crap out of him. Um, but that's hardly a physical threat, right? I mean, that's hardly, you have to hardly call the Secret Service to question Joe Biden about threatening the president. you got to be quite a snowflake to really actually uh, think yeah. that this is You know what you serious. do when something's like, you ignore it. That's what you do. If you are a sane man, you ignore it, sane person. Uh, but Donald Trump can't. So first of all, Here's what Joe Biden said down in Florida, right? Okay, so this yeah. was at an anti-sexual assault rally down in Florida, as you said. Uh, and Joe Biden said, quote, a guy who ended up becoming our national leader said, I can grab a woman anywhere and she likes it. Mm -hmm. They asked me if I'd like to debate this gentleman. And I said, no, if I were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym <laughs> and beat the hell out of him. I've been in a lot of locker rooms in my whole life, Biden continued. I'm pretty. I'm a pretty damn good athlete. Any guy that talked that way was usually the fattest, ugliest SOB in the room. Uh, well said, Joe. Well said. Uh, so he had said that before. He's just telling this little kind of a little story. Uh, and by the way, Joe Biden, you know, he's got some uh, legs in this on this issue. He is oh, the yeah. sponsor of the author of. The Violence Against Women Act years ago. He was on this case years before the Me Too movement started, right? Uh, and that's basically his law is the foundation that 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 for the hashtag Me Too movement and and the only recourse that women have had for decades uh, to fight back against sexual assault uh, in, in the workplace. So it's an issue. He knows and he feels deeply about and has always been a leader on long before the latest kind of movement started with Harvey Weinstein and Bill O'Reilly and uh, Matt Lauer and others. So Donald Trump sees this. Uh, where? Mm, on Fox and Friends. Where else? Where else? Of on course. Fox and Friends this morning. And he has to fight back. So he tweets this morning, uh, just before we started the show, uh, from Donald Trump's Twitter account, Crazy Joe Biden. 
So he's got a nickname now. Start, let's start there, right. Great, he's got a nickname now. Crazy Joe Biden is trying to act like a tough guy. Actually, he is weak, both mentally and physically. And yet he threatens me for the second time with physical assault. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. He, he doesn't know me, but he would go down fast and hard, crying all the way. <laughs> Don't threaten people, Joe. <laughs> so, first of all, this mentally weak Come on. Uh, you know, I've read the book, The Dangerous Case Against Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah. You're talking about somebody who got, according to mental health professionals, yeah. some serious mental health deficiencies no, and problems. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's in the White House. And then physically weak? I, I, I haven't seen Joe Biden work out, but I've seen Joe Biden, been around him a lot. Joe Biden's in a hell of a lot better physical shape than Donald Trump is. Yeah. Flat yeah. out. Yes. No doubt. Yes. I mean, yeah, so I, I, you don't have to be a doctor to figure that out. I mean, you look at the two of them side by side, right? I'll take that test. Donald Trump couldn't. Mentally, physical test, either one. Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. My money's on Joe Biden. Donald Trump doesn't exercise. He doesn't believe in exercise. He has said he thinks that the human body has a finite amount of energy that you can use. And right. so you have to save it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but right. the point is, this guy just cannot help himself, right? He cannot, doesn't matter whether it's a school child or a former vice president, anybody who says anything in any way critical of Donald Trump, he's got to be. So good for Joe Biden for tweaking the bear. <laughs> I, do, I do think that the best part of that is him saying, like, oh, he threatened me with physical assault. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, come on. Please. Sick. Secret there, Service, please yeah. protect me. <laughs> there protect are so me. many people out there that voted for Donald Trump because they think he's some alpha male and, you know, won't back down from a fight. And he's going, oh, God. Mm -hmm. He said that if we were in high school, by the way, he didn't even say, I'm going to kick his ass. He said, if we were still in high school and he said something like this, I'd kick his ass. Yeah, right. So those of you who accuse Congress of not getting anything done, uh, maybe they do something and then you wish they hadn't done it. Uh, that's the case of yesterday. You know uh, that the government does run out of money again, um, threatens to, this Friday evening, run out of money at midnight. Um, so today's, well, Thursday, you think maybe they might start thinking about it. Yes, indeed, last night at 10 o'clock, uh, Senate negotiators uh, reached an agreement and put out a bill, uh, which the Senate will vote on today and then the House vote on uh, today or tomorrow, uh, the bill is, get this, 2,232 pages long, all right? So they're going to vote on it at 10 o'clock last night. They'll vote on it today, right? So how many people who vote on that in the Senate will have read the bill? Zero. Zero. Even the people, I'm, I'm sure. Seems to be a trend. Even the people who negotiated this will not have read the entire bill. There's stuff in there we'll discover Months later. Uh, but what we do know about the headlines are, um, uh, first of all, it's $1.3 trillion. Uh, that's with no payback, by the way. This is all just added to the deficit, right? I mean, we're just spending this money as if we have it. Uh, so it's $1.3 trillion in new spending uh, by uh, the so-called <coughs> fiscal conservatives uh, who lead the Congress today. Uh, $80 billion a year annually now to the Pentagon, which already has, I believe, the largest budget in the history of the Pentagon already. But somehow, for Donald Trump and Republicans, you just cannot throw enough money at the military. 
Throwing money at a problem is never the answer, except when it comes to the military. And then the answer is there is no amount of money you should not throw at the Pentagon. What does this go for? Why do we need it? What kind of savings or what kind of uh, duplicative weapons or whatever are we getting rid of to make sure that this money is spent wisely? No discussion of that. We don't know anything about that. We're just giving them another $80 billion a year. Uh, and meanwhile, there's $21 billion in infrastructure. Um, th- that's $21 billion down payment on the $1 trillion for infrastructure that Donald Trump, Trump promised. Uh, there is $1.6 billion in there for border security, but nothing for the wall. Even though Donald Trump wanted $24 billion for the wall, no money in it for the wall. Uh, $641 million, not billion, million, is in there for new fencing, fencing, notice, fencing, building fences, not building a wall. So Donald Trump doesn't get his money for the wall, which I think is sort of amusing. He could, he's given up saying Mexico is going to pay for the wall, right? Um, He can't get Mexico to pay for the wall. He can't get Congress to pay. He can't get Republicans in Congress to pay for the wall either. And sadly, and I think this is where Democrats have made a huge mistake. Uh, there's no protection here for the dreamers. Nothing about DACA. One more time, uh, Democrats had an opportunity. Now, Donald Trump said, you give me $24 billion, I'll give you DACA. I wouldn't make that deal. But Democrats had an opportunity to hold tight, to refuse to go along with this spending spree if they didn't get finally protection to put the Dreamers program back the way it was before Donald Trump screwed it up. Just let it resume what Barack, as in the, in the shape that Barack Obama had created it, and let it go forward and protect these kids who know other, no other country than the United States of America. Uh, but Democrats caved yet again on the DACA program, uh, and there will be no protection. And someday, someday, that's what they're saying, is someday we'll get around to it. Uh, This is another opportunity that's come and gone, and uh, they blew it, uh, in my humble opinion. Uh, And they'll defend it. I mean, Chuck Schumer said yesterday, we are are so happy with this bill. We're feeling very good about this. We've accomplished many, many, many of our goals. Mm -hmm. I'm glad he's feeling good about it. I'm glad he's feeling good about it. I would also like him to... uh, I'd like them to sit down and just say, we accomplished many of our goals. Okay, like, here they are. Here's what we, and I, I'd like to hear that. Here's what we Democrats accomplished in this budget deal. Uh, I think it would be a short list. Look, I mean, And I think it would be a phony list. We talk all the time about this blue wave that's coming. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, right? And... You know, yesterday we had this great conversation with Joel Payne about Democrats have to be able to go out there and say, this is what we did, right? You can't just take it for granted that people are mad at Donald Trump and they're going to come out and vote for you, okay? You've got to be able to point to some victory, something that you did, something that the Democratic Party united on and said, okay, folks, here's what we did, and if you give us the majority, here's what we'll continue to do. And I don't know that they have that. No. Now, of course, they are not in charge. You can give them that understood. little. Understood. Understood. But, and, and it's worth pointing out um, that uh, people are already saying Donald Trump, uh, he'll sign this, even though he didn't get his funding for the wall. 
uh, and that this could be the only major legislation that Donald Trump signs this year. And we're just, and we're only not even the end of March, <laughs> right? But that's what people are predicting. That's what people expect out of this Congress because they're going to be right in the middle of the midterms and then in front of the general election. So last year they passed one bill, which was the tax cut bill in December. And they said that was, that was it. That was it. Yeah. Neil, Neil Gorsuch got on the Supreme court. That was not major legislation. One thing in 2017 tax cut bill, they're now saying one thing in 2018, which is this $1.8 trillion or one point three, whatever it is, trillion dollar spending. Uh, <clears throat> there's your uh, there's your do nothing Congress, if you if you uh, ever saw one uh, at all. Uh, meanwhile, there is still more talk about fear, really, in Congress among Republicans and Democrats that after all the tweet storm last weekend, let's not forget, wasn't that long ago, um, that Donald Trump may be gearing up still to fire to special counsel Robert Mueller. Uh, there are saner voices who are saying, don't go there. Uh, but uh, indications are, uh, particularly with the president hiring Joe DeGeneva as his new attorney, uh, that uh, this is where the president wants to go. A couple of members, a couple of members of the Senate yesterday, one Democrat, one Republican, spoke out against this and said what we really need, and others have suggested this too, what we really need is uh, legislation to protect Robert Mueller and to make it tougher, if not impossible, for the president to actually fire the special counsel, as Lindsey Graham said. After all, we are a nation of laws, not of men. Uh, Senator Chris Coons from Delaware saying, uh, the bill we've the, there's a bill floating out there. It's a bipartisan bill. Chris Coons is one of the sponsors uh, that we would uh, that this bill would uh, give Mueller a little protection that he uh, that he needs. I think it is a simple, constitutional, clear step to make it harder, not impossible, to fire the special counsel. It would provide a judicial remedy that would allow for reinstatement if the judges concluded uh, that the special counsel had been fired without cause. And Susan Collins, a Republican of Maine, uh, adding her voice as well, saying, you know, uh, let's not bring back Richard Nixon. You would have a situation that would be akin to the Saturday Night Massacre. And that obviously did not end up well for President Nixon. So I don't think this is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, She says she doesn't think it's going to happen. Well, you know, uh, again, who knows with Donald Trump? Just like this phone call with Vladimir Putin when his aides gave him a book, a briefing book, and it said in all caps, because unless it's in all caps, Donald Trump doesn't think it's important. That's why he uses all caps when he wants to emphasize something in his tweets. But in the briefing book that said in all caps, do not congratulate him, Donald Trump turned around and the first thing he did was congratulated Vladimir Putin and then invited him to a summit meeting, which nobody had talked about either. So you could see that with Donald Trump, he could have a briefing book that said in all caps, do not fire Robert Mueller. And that would be Donald Trump's invitation, (laughs) temptation to, in fact, fire Robert Mueller, which is why this legislation in the Senate 
uh, might prove to be uh, important. Uh, so much news, so much going on these days in Washington, D.C. It's hard to run and keep up with it. We always need help from our friends like Alex Seitzwald from uh, NBC News, who uh, jumps in the studio. Hello, Alex. Nice to see you. Good morning, Bill. Happy uh, second day of spring. Second day of spring. Are we having another snowstorm today? I, I, it seems like we should, yeah. Just, Don't you uh, think? Just uh, Through June. Let's yeah, why, not, yeah, why not? Yeah. Why yeah, not? Right. You know, the cherry blossoms must be saying, come on, get it straight. Right. Yeah, get your get your act together. Yeah, because well, like, like three weeks ago, yeah. it was seventy degrees and the cherry blossoms were starting to pop out. Now it's time for the cherry blossom festival when they should be in full force, <laughs> and we have a snowstorm. I, I think I saw the average temperature in January was warmer than it's so far been in March because that, that's how wacky the weather has been uh, Holy this year. Cow, man. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, I was just talking about this uh, phone call with a. Uh, what could have been just like a non-event just turns out to be in typical Trumpian fashion, right? A mess because um, he wasn't. They said he wasn't going to call. Then he did call. Then he wasn't going to congratulate. Then he did congratulate. Then he an- announces this summit, which nobody had thought about, and this was hardly a free and fair election, right? Uh, well, uh, so. What's your take? I mean, it, it, it's such classic Donald Trump. The if for no other reason than he should be aware as a news consumer, which we know he is because he tweets about the news all the time. He should be aware that there's this perception out there that he's a little too friendly with Russia. I, th- I think he knows that, and yet he still picks up the phone and he congratulates uh, Putin despite the all caps warning. It, I mean, it, you know, it's like telling a, a kid not to stick their finger in the light socket, and then mm-hmm. what do they do? Stick their finger in the light socket. It, so he just creates these problems for himself that are totally unavoidable. And now we're on the third day or whatever of this story. Uh, there's this omnibus bill happening on the Hill, which has some stuff that he could be touting and talking about, but he's not going to be able to get his message out. And I think it's just you know quintessential. It, it just contributes to this noise that you hear from the White House that is annoying a lot of voters uh, that I've been hearing out in the States. Uh, and it does sort of um, perpetuate the story that Donald Trump cannot, cannot, is congenitally incapable of saying anything critical about Vladimir Putin. Yes, yeah, the weirdest thing. This is a guy who who criticizes everybody. He called this morning. He called the former vice president yeah. uh, an idiot or whatever it was. Yeah, crazy, it, crazy. Excuse mentally me. Mentally and physically weak. Mentally and physically weak. Yesterday he called George W. Bush, his Republican predecessor, yes. not smart enough. Didn't have the smarts. Right. right. So this is a guy who has no problem throwing around criticism about. Everybody in the world, except for Vladimir Putin, one of our you know biggest geopolitical. Uh, uh, and the briefing foes. book did say, in addition, do not congratulate <laughs> him. It did say, talk to him about the poison. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Which he did not do. Didn't even bring it up. It. it you know, I don't know. Theresa May's condemned him. Expelled some diplomats. Others have condemned him. It's. Rex Tillerson said clearly Russia did it. Donald Trump himself said it looks like Russia did. Never raised the topic. The the way he's been acting about all of this is I, I don't know if it's just the thing where he does the opposite of whatever tells him anybody tells him, or if there's something more there. But he is certainly acting very guilty for a man who claims to be innocent in this whole Trump Russia thing. I mean, it would take such a minor essentially costless act for him to just go out and criticize Putin any any day of the week. He could go in front of yeah, the cameras yeah. and just say, hey, he probably shouldn't have poisoned that guy in uh, London. And he just d- does not seem capable of it. 
which I think, you know, for people who are doubters of the stuff in the Steele dossier, it, it, it kind of makes you wonder if maybe there's more there than uh, you might suspect. Right. Uh, there was not a lot of support <laughs> on the Hill for uh, uh, for his, uh, for the way he, he handled this call. Uh, Lindsey Graham yesterday saying, particularly on the poison thing, this is something uh, he should have raised and didn't. When our British allies come forward and say, we believe the Russians did it, and all the evidence indicates they did, it's important that the president reinforce the message of uh, our British allies, and I think that was an opportunity lost. Uh, but, you know, maybe, and some people have said this, maybe the story, the bigger story is not he congratulated him when he shouldn't have, but that we know what, what that, that that briefing book, right? the leak of the, what was in, um, now, everybody complains about leaks, but the leaks out of this White House are nonstop, and they really have to be from pretty high up, right? How many people, Peter and I were trying to figure out this morning, what would you say, maybe six people at the most saw the final document for the president's eyes only? Yeah. It goes in front of him at his desk when he's about to pick up the phone and make the call? Yeah, this is extremely sensitive information. This is the product of all the intelligence agencies working together to put this in front of their most important customer. This is, this is basically the reason the intelligence communities exist, is produce, is to produce this document. Uh, and the fact that they can't keep it secret is incredible. And the thing, if you talk to... But again, that, that, that may have come in. Okay, let's, let's just stop there. There, there are 17 different agencies. So let's say all these different drafts come in kind of from all over. But, you know... A small number of people... When it gets into the White House, it's distilled down, right. right, to the very final document that goes in his hands. Right. And the if you talk to anybody who's worked in politics, the thing that they'll say, the way you stop leaks is by creating a culture where people are invested in the organization, they are invested in the success of the organization, and so they don't want to undermine the success of the organization by leaking to the press. That's it's it's that simple. That does not describe the Trump White House. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Right. I mean, but it makes perfect sense. It, you know, why? Is, what does anybody leaking to the Washington Post that briefing book? What do they have to gain for themselves personally? Almost nothing. They're they're risking their job. They're risking you know potentially if it's classified information, jail time. But they feel compelled by something uh, you know moral or just pure outrage, frustration with the job. This is clearly somebody who's not happy in the job that they're doing. And everybody who is leaking, that's the same story. And so it's a, it's Trump likes this chaos around him. He likes to pit his aides against each other. But the product of that is you get very unhappy people who are constantly out to undercut each other and massive, unprecedented leaks. And don't – isn't the – the buck's got to stop somewhere, right? Uh, Trump will never take responsibility. <laughs> right. Uh, so it's John Kelly, right? I mean, he, isn't he the, like the last – the last guard there uh, standing at the door to what goes to Trump and what doesn't and what it says and 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 who might see it. And and when he first came on, it did seem like he managed to impose some modicum of order. I mean, we weren't, you know, uh, it wasn't a well-oiled machine, but it was much better than the early days of the, of the White House. It seems like in the last month or so, as there's been a lot of these high-level departures, including like Hope Hicks and people very close to, to Trump, uh, that things are starting to spin out a little bit more. And you're getting a lot more of these leaks from inside those very tight rooms like we were getting in the very early days of the administration. There there, there weren't, there was about, I don't know, maybe six months or, or eight months where we weren't getting as many of that kind of really granular uh, detail. And uh, so it makes me think that 
you know, it's no secret that Trump is not happy with John Kelly. It makes me think that Kelly's power is waning or his influence inside the White House is mm-hmm. waning or that more people are frustrated. But ultimately, the buck stops with, with the president. I mean, that, True. Yeah. And he certainly has not instilled in everyone that level of trust and team spirit, if you will. Right. That, and, I mean, you know, let's, that you need. Let's just take a step back. The, his whole pitch was that he is a business guy. He's, a, he's an executive. <clears throat> he literally had an entire TV show about how he was good at hiring people. And that, that, was, that was what he sold the American people on. And there's lots of jobs to being president, but one of the jobs is managing the White House, just basic you know, management. And this is a, uh, not a strong testament to his abilities there. Uh, yes, indeed. Alex Seitzwald, the uh, political reporter for NBC News, and lots of politics to talk about with a big Illinois primary just getting over. Uh, Rick Saccone finally conceding Pennsylvania's 18th congressional district. Uh, and lots more districts like Pennsylvania's 18th are coming up. Good into that with all of you and with Alex Seitzwald coming up here on this uh, Thursday, March 22nd, the Bill Press Show. Quick break, and we'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. Yeah, here we are. How about it? Uh, on a Thursday, March uh, 22nd, the Bill Press Show. As always, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Thanks for your thoughts and prayers. We survived our big snowstorm yesterday. <laughs> uh, and we are um, maybe back on track for the Cherry Blossom Festival. I don't know. Uh, Alex Seitzwald is in studio with us from NBC News, a political reporter. And it's good to have all of you with us. Uh, one reminder again, as you go into the weekend, uh, you want a good read for the weekend or for the next week, uh, it is out. Watch out. It's there from the left. Life in the Crossfire. Uh, out this week, now in your bookstores. It's on Amazon. Saw a lot of activity on Amazon yesterday. Barnes & Noble. Or, again, maybe the easiest way, go to our website at BillPressShow.com uh, for a great 40% bargain on the book. Sign copies of the book at BillPressShow.com. And uh, out in Chicago on April 4 at the Collect. I don't know, um, Frugal Muse, Frugal Muse Bookstore in Darien, Illinois. See you there, 6.30 at night. So, Alex, um, Rick Saccone yesterday, Republican nominee of the Pennsylvania's 18th, finally conceded that he lost by some 600 votes or something, right? Yeah. Um, but this is a sort of a temporary victory for Democrats. Is it a meaningful victory for Democrats? I, I do think it's meaningful. Uh, I I think it's you know so the the why you say it's a temporary just to explain that this uh, the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court redrew these districts so both Rick Saccone and Connor Lamb are immediately like right now running again uh, in the November elections in different congressional districts uh, but the the victory is a big one for Democrats in that it shows they can win it shows the the basis with them it's another data point uh, it's scaring Republicans yet again. And uh, it, it does reduce the number of seats that Democrats need to win by, even though they, Connor Lamb has to win again, from 24 to 23. And, and mm-hmm. that could be significant. Um, he, Connor Lamb is now running in a different uh, congressional district that is less Republican than the one that he just won. So he's uh, favored to, to win that. Saccone is going to have to move uh, and will run in a safer Republican uh, district. But, you know, I don't, his party was not too happy with him after that race. And I would be surprised if uh, he... 
you know, gets cut loose or somebody else takes over there. So you think he, he might have a challenger in the Republican primary in this I think new district? I, right, yeah, exactly. I think there already are a couple of other people looking at it. It's a, the extremely fluid situation. The Supreme Court, state Supreme Court kind of threw this on them, and the uh, Pennsylvania Republicans have been trying to reverse it. Just uh, on Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court gave the official word. Right. It's not changing. They're out of appeal, so that's that, and finally done. Right. Uh, which is significant, right? And and may think that might portend what they may rule in the Wisconsin case, which is in front of them. Right. So it's significant in and of itself. I mean, I, I would say that the redrawing of the Pennsylvania congressional districts is the single most significant event for the battle of the House that we've seen this entire cycle because it goes from giving Democrats maybe two or three pickup opportunities to as many as five or six. And, you know, when you're trying to cobble together 23, an extra three or four, and now with Connor Lamb, that, that makes a big uh, yeah. difference. But then, yes, it also sets a precedent potentially for Wisconsin uh, and potentially for, you know, other political gerrymandering cases uh, across the country. Right. Um, do the big rap on Connor Lamb, right, was that uh, among some progressives, uh, he's not a real Democrat. And then the Republicans said, he's not a real Democrat. He's really a Republican. I mean, yeah. Donald Trump famously saying he supported my tax cuts, which he did not. Uh, right. Um, but other Democrats said, well, look, he fit the district. Right. Uh, is that is that something that uh, Democrats can now kind of unite behind this slogan? <laughs> Need a candidate that fits the district, not necessarily a hundred percent Bernie Sanders candidate in every district. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's kind of politics one hundred and one, but it's worth reiterating that yes, you're as a candidate, it helps if you fit the district. And this is a Republican <laughs> district. Uh, Tim Murphy, who the the Republican used to occupy it, ran unopposed in his last two elections. Democrats didn't even bother right challenging him. Uh, and look, the, the the Republicans are spinning on that. They, before the election, they called him a super left-wing Nancy Pelosi liberal, and then as soon as he won, they said, no, no, he was a Republican. Uh, the left has, has a point. I mean, on guns, on fracking, on abortion, he was definitely uh, to the right of the, the rest of the Democratic Party. But, I mean, I was up there in, in the district uh, at a union event where he was out there with organized labor, completely dedicating himself to everything that the unions wanted. He, his number one issue was protecting Social Security and Medicare. Uh, those you know proven democratic issues. So on on he is a Democrat. He is just a a yeah. moderate Democrat. Yeah. I, and 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 by the way, the, uh, I've mentioned this before, but uh, you know the unions really were the key element in his grassroots organization, and I'd say in his victory, right? The, the mine workers and the steel workers in, yeah. that, in that district, and and it's like they came home. They didn't come home for Hillary. They came home for Connor Lamb. Right, and I think this is the. Most probably one of the brightest spots for Democrats in this race is that this is a district that has historically been Democratic and it still has a Democratic registration edge. There, there are districts like this across, especially the industrial uh, Midwest, that Trump won, where Trump appealed to these people. He said, "I'm going to, you know, reopen the coal mines and right. the steel mills." What well, that's not going to happen, but he he promised them that. And this shows that at least there's a chance for Democrats to bring those people back because there's been this big debate raging in the party about whether you should just cut those people loose and try to you know win without them uh, or win them back. And I think Connor Lamb shows that you can win them back with the right message. Uh, how many districts? Uh, I saw something this morning. There are at least nine districts that are even more likely to pick ups than Connor Lamb's district. But there there are districts like this one, similar to this one across the country. Yeah, there, there are a lot of uh, districts. There are actually, depending on how you measure it, somewhere between 100 and 115 
districts currently held by Republicans Whoa. that are less Republican than Connor Lambs. Than Connor Lambs. And Connor Lamb just won that. So that's why if you're a Republican, you should be very scared right now. Right. Um, Donald Trump the other night at the congressional fundraising dinner um, promised uh, Republicans that uh, he's going to dedicate a great big chunk of 2018 to uh, traveling around the country, uh, supporting Republican <laughs> candidates at every at every level. Um, well, we saw that he tried that in New Jersey, Virginia, Alabama, and Pennsylvania. His coattails don't seem to be very long. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think there might be a lot of Republicans who say thanks, but no thanks on <laughs> that yeah. offer. Yeah, right. Uh, it, it's a, it's a <laughs> real. Remember, remember, oh, that's remember. a great offer. Yeah, you ought to help him. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. To, that district, that's where you ought to go because By they the really need help over there, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm old enough to remember when Democrats ran away from Barack Obama campaigning for them because he had a shockingly low 49% approval rating. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, like. You know, it, it's it's kind of nuts that we're here at this point. Yeah, but, I mean, nobody, nobody, no Republican should want Donald Trump to campaign for them. Right. I, the, the The argument in favor of it is that we're going to be tagged with him anyway. Democrats tried to wanna run away from Obama and still lost, so we might as well embrace him. Uh, I don't know if that's a particularly convincing argument, especially in. Uh, one of the 23 or 24 districts that Hillary Clinton won that are currently held by Republicans. And the fact that he, his track record is just, you know, zero and five now. And, and also, said. like, at these rallies that he goes to, it's never about the candidate. Right. It's about him, right? Yeah. Like, if you're a candidate and you want to have Donald Trump come and make a pitch for you in your district, what you will get is Donald Trump coming to your district calling somebody a son of a bitch and saying how he totally could have nailed Tawny Katane back in 1983. Like, that. that's that's what he would talk about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was at the uh, Luther Strange, his campaign event for Luther Strange. That's where he went after the NFL players, and I was at his uh, rally for Rick Saccone, and that was that crazy 75-minute speech where he you know, went off on Chuck Todd and everybody, and Rick Saccone was like a footnote in, in that speech. So, yeah, right, you're the... The headline the next day is not going to be Donald Trump backs candidate X. It's going to be Donald Trump said something crazy at an event. For Donald Trump X. called this person the son of a bitch this yeah. time. Yeah, right. Basically. <laughs> right. Um, Hillary Clinton was back in the news this week. Uh, she gave a speech in India and she was asked uh, what happened. And um, she said, well, you know, we did pretty well in the uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course, in the forward looking parts of the country, the, the coast, the East Coast and the West Coast. It's just. It's all that backward land and backward-looking part of the country in between where we didn't do too well. Yeah, not not helping. Uh, way to just you know step into every narrative. <laughs> yeah, and also, right. it's not just that she you know basically said what Republicans say, Democrats say. She also just wrote off. She talked about the GDP of places. She said they did really, she did really well in places that are contributing the most to the GDP. In other words, the wealthiest places of the country. But I thought the Democratic Party was about helping, you know, working people and poor people. Who are not quite at the top of the ladder yet. Right. Yeah, I know. It it, it was so wrong in so many ways, right? Uh, And, of course, we know that's where she lost. That's also where she didn't campaign. And she didn't have a message that appealed to the people there, the blue-collar, classic, working uh, Democratic base, like Pennsylvania's 18th. Yeah, right. And and not just uh, 
you know, when we say blue collar, we usually mean white, and that's Pennsylvania 18th is definitely yeah. that. But also African Americans did yes. not yes. come out for oh. her in the way that they should have, and uh, because you know she tr- she tried and she was probably paid more attention uh, there. But it was, uh, yeah, that that was not her finest moment. <laughs> so, do you find that this uh, there was also a case? It, so there were some complaints among some progressive. I, I just want to mention one thing, actually, on the on the abortion issue, just because you mentioned it. I, I, I keep pointing out, Connor Lamb's position on abortion is exactly what Tim Kaine's position mm-hmm. on abortion and is. And Joe Biden. And, and Joe Biden. Yep. And Tim Kaine was the vice presidential nominee of the party, and nobody complained about it. Yep. I mean, maybe a couple of bit. But basically, everybody said, oh, Hillary chose Tim Kaine. Fine. It's fine. So nobody gave him a lot of grief for that, right? I thought the uh, the criticism of Connor Lamb on that point was pretty... Um, off base, actually, uh, and um, but but let's mention that. But so there were some complaints there among some progressives who wasn't progressive enough. And then there's this case out in Texas, right? It was a congressional primary. Laura Moser. Tell, yeah, yeah. Tell us about that, right? Yeah. So this was uh, two weeks ago, the Texas primary. Uh, there's a very crowded race in the seventh congressional district. Four or five Democratic candidates, and they're big, Demo- you know, mm-hmm. spending a lot of money. One of whom was uh, named Laura Moser, or is named Laura Moser. Uh, she was a kind of resistance figure. She started this app uh, right after Trump got elected that was really popular. And she- she's an Our Revolution candidate, right? She- right. And yeah. actually, her husband uh, works for the firm the, the, that uh, revo- that's called oh. uh, Revolution Messaging that Bernie Sanders hired. So mm-hmm. she is very much, you know, in this world. Uh, she moved home to Texas to run in this congressional district right before the election. The DCCC, the official campaign arm of the Democratic Party, which doesn't typically get involved in, in primaries. primaries. Right. They typically are there to support the nominee, whoever emerges from the primary, against the Republicans. They put out uh, opposition research on Laura Moser, one of their own candidates, publicly. I mean, they just they, they throw it out there. Uh, they had dug On a, a Democrat. <clears throat> On a Democrat, and in a, in a naked and uh, you know they they say the explicit attempt to kick her out of the race, essentially, it ends up kind of backfiring. It turns out, uh, and she wins the first round, or she she at least makes it to the runoff in the way a lot of Southern states are. Mm-hmm. You you get two candidates of the first round, yeah, and then, and then... So, so she's still in it. She's still a candidate uh, running for Congress now, and if she makes it all the way, that's going to be very awkward when she gets to Washington. But it it annoyed a lot of people. Uh, and uh, it was a test for the D-trip, and they, they've said this, about whether they might do this in other races, especially in California where you get the top two primary system. And I, I, I think, and I think a lot of people in the party hope, that they will not do this again uh, because it was ended up with a lot of egg on their face. It's a bad look. It is a bad look, and It's right. a familiar look. We saw this happen in the, in the presidential primary. And right? it perpetuates like, this establishment versus Bernie Right or establishment versus progressives. Right, and and to be fair, they they say, and I think it's they're this is they're right that this was not about policy, uh, because there are two other candidates. So what was the dirt on her? I mean, what was the rap on her? Why did they say she shouldn't be the nominee? They thought that this thing that they found was so deadly in a general election that she would be a flawed uh, candidate. The Republicans, what it was, was they found this op-ed where she had written that she would rather have her teeth pulled without anesthesia than move home to Texas. Uh, and she, you know, she'd recently moved home to Texas, so, she, so they were convinced that <laughs> Republicans are going to run attack ads saying she's a Washington liberal who, you know, just came yeah. back here, a carpetbagger, which, like, fair, they will, they will run those, those ads. Yeah, but right. 
the DCCC had to know or they should have known that by going after her, uh, it's going to look terrible and it's going to inflame this whole sector of the party that they really need and that is already predisposed to not trust them. I like her even more now than she said that. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I never ran for office or wouldn't run for office again, right? because I'm sure if they went back and pulled things that <clears throat> I have said. Uh, <clears throat> I couldn't run. <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't run anywhere. You mentioned uh, California. You know, there are lots of opportunities in California. But what I've heard people are worried about is that with so many opportunities and so much energy, in the Demo- particularly in the Democratic base, that so many people have come forward to run that there could be so many Democratic candidates that they trip over each other and allow the Republicans to get in. In a district like Daryl Issa's seat, or Dana Rohrbacher's seat, or uh, Ed Royce's Royce. seat, mm-hmm. which Democrats should be able to pick up. This is a really serious uh, issue that is a lot of people concerned. Just yesterday, I sat down with a California congressional candidate, and it, who's, he doesn't have a primary, but he's watching this very closely, and he said, we're going to F it up. Like he, he's That's how worried he is about it. Uh, this phenomenon is happening across the country, and it's great for Democrats, right? You have all these candidates in the race. Yeah. Uh, but in California, but there's complications with that across the country. You get these nasty primaries like this Laura Morza thing. In California, though, it's unique because they have this top two primary system that you are well aware of, also known as the jungle primary, where everybody gets on the ballot together, Republicans and Democrats, on the first round. And the top two vote getters, regardless of party, move on to the general election in November. So there's a very real situation, especially in the open seats where you don't have a, Repu- uh, you know, a Republican incumbent that you get two Republicans who are the top two vote-getters because Democrats split mm-hmm. their vote, and then you end up locked out, and essentially you forfeit the uh, general election. And so the two big ones, in this order, the, the, the concern is, number one, Daryl Issa's seat, the California 49th. There's five uh, candidates in that race. They're all strong in their own ways. Two of them are self-funding millionaires who have pledged to spend basically whatever it takes. Uh, Ed Royce's seat, the, the 39th district, which should really be a really easy pickup opportunity for mm-hmm. Democrats. This is a district that's like a third Latino, a third Asian, and a third white. So just on the demographics alone, it should really be a good pickup opportunity. Again, you have a ton of candidates in there. And in Dana Rohrbacher's uh, district, he's you know Vladimir Putin's favorite congressman, as they like to say. He has a bunch of Republicans running against him on the Russia issue that could complicate this uh, again. So... California Democrats are very nervous about this. Just last week, we passed the filing deadline, which was a key. Uh, mm-hmm. Once that, once you're past that, you can't take your name off the ballot. And they basically weren't successful in getting anybody to drop out of the race. There are a couple of people here and there. Uh, so this isn't a real ongoing live threat to the party. What you need in California is a strong Democratic Party chair <laughs> who could go in and break arms. Yeah. Right. Do, you, and, do you know anybody who uh, might be up for that job? Well, 20 years ago, I knew somebody who <laughs> might, have been, <laughs> might have been up for that job. Uh, speaking about jungle primaries, uh, Illinois. Yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. Um, Ugly. What did we find? There was, yeah, there was some, uh, on both sides, yeah. right, there were some really hotly contested primaries. So two. Uh, when you, now that is behind, well, is it behind us now and going into the general and the United Republican and Democratic Party or? Uh, yes What's and your, no. I mean, yeah. so, so two big races there that uh, we should talk about. Number one is the governor's race. Um, J.B. Pritzker, a Democratic billionaire uh, philanthropist, won barely, but won his Democratic primary. 
and uh, he's going to spend, you know, a gazillion dollars. He already spent committed sixty million dollars. It's going to be this is going to be the most expensive gubernatorial race in American history because J.B. Pritzker is in it. On the Republican side, you have an incumbent. Even though this is Illinois, Bruce Rauner, but he's extremely unpopular. He had two uh, Republican primary challengers, including one from this woman Ivy, who nearly knocked him out. Uh, so that shows real weakness on his part and a real lack of commitment from his own base. So he's in serious trouble, and some people are saying now he's the most endangered incumbent uh, governor anywhere in the country. So definitely keep an eye on that. Uh, the one that I think is interesting to a lot of people on the left is a congressional race in the 3rd District, Chicago suburbs. This is Dan Lipinski, incumbent Democrat. It's a safe blue seat. He is probably the most conservative, one of the most conservative Democrats in Congress. But yeah, uh, how he got elected from Illinois, I don't know. I mean, just well, like... I, I can tell you how he got elected. Oh, oh. His, uh, it's a it's a good story. His father, Bill Lipinski, was a long eleven term congressman. Mm. Uh, you know, power broker. He ran the the Democratic Party in that area. He uh, ran for reelection, won the primary because, of course, he won the primary, and then he twisted some arms and got his son's name replaced on the ballot between the primary and the general election. No. So people ended up voting for his son without even really realizing that they were because it was the same last name. And, uh, you know, it's Lipinski. So they just, uh, oh, I thought his name was Bill, not Dan. But <laughs> and, and he has been in Congress ever since. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. That is a great story. Yeah. Illinois politics. He probably could never have gotten there otherwise, right? He, he, had, he was a professor so in the, Tennessee at the time. He had never run for elected office. Yeah. The, Dan. The, Dan, the, the current incumbent. Yeah. Whoa. Right. So now that you've elected me for the primary, I'm just going to step aside. I'm going to put my son in. Right. So your votes for me in the primary were actually votes for my son. You just didn't realize it. Right. Hell yeah. Unbelievable. It. And, it's, and, you know, it's a safe about machine, so that the machine politics. Yes, exactly. politics. Yeah. The machine is alive and well. And uh, is this the this isn't the Cook County machine. Though. It is. Oh, yeah. it is. It, oh. And, and it's 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 uh, it's not just daily. It's now, you know, Madigan, the uh, state Senate president and the party Democratic Party leader. He's the guy who runs that machine now. And it turned out it did well uh, on, on Tuesday. So Dan Lipinski, the, the accidental congressman, son of a former congressman, yeah. conservative, pro-life, and not just pro-life in the way that Connor Lamb is pro-life. He is oh, no, he, yeah, an evangelist. He, he goes to the March for Life. Uh, he also he didn't vote for the Affordable Care Act. He didn't endorse Barack Obama's reelection. I'm surprised he hasn't gone to primary earlier, but this year, uh, uh, with all the enthusiasm out there, a bunch of progressive mm -hmm. groups, including some establishment you know, pro Clinton groups like Emily's List and SEIU, yeah. Planned Parenthood, and Kirsten Gillibrand, and two fellow congressmen from his own. Jan Schakowsky endorsed the uh, his opponent. Right. So they all got together and they said, "Okay, enough's en enough. enough." They spent almost two million dollars. Uh, they you know really wailed on him, but they got in a little bit late, and he ended up squeaking it out, but barely. Uh, but they're going to be coming back at him in in 2020 for sure, and it shows that you know that district is is moving away from him, and I don't think his grip on that district is very uh, strong. And we remember when uh, Senator Bernie Sanders went out to endorse Chewy Garcia running against Rahm Emanuel. Yep. Uh, now Chewy Garcia is back, and he won his uh, nomination, and he is you know it's probably headed to to Congress uh, because it's another safe, pretty safe seat. Uh, it's interesting. He so he would take the place of Luis Garcia, right? Right. Yeah. Who is stepping down for for unknown reasons? You know, this is a uh, he's a very prominent voice on immigration, and he's uh, been a, he's a, tremendous. I, he's great. I love him. I bet. Yeah, he's the guy who said we talked about it. I was on MSNBC when he first said, 
you know, he personally, as much as he opposes this wall, he would go down there and help build it brick by brick, <laughs> right, if that would get protection for the d- dreamers. Yeah. Because if we build the wall, we can take the wall down. Right. <laughs> it seems like a good trade to me. I mean, yeah, I'm surprised that there hasn't more of that. But Yeah, I hate to see him go, but uh, it's great that Chuy Garcia won that, and he'll be stepping up to Congress probably as winning the Democratic nomination for sure. Yeah, and a couple of other pickup opportunities for Democrats out there in Illinois uh, in November. So that'll definitely be on the radar. All right. Lots to watch. It's an important year, and uh, you're right on top of it. Alex, thanks so much for coming in. You can follow Alex, of course, uh, on uh, Twitter. uh, First of all, on Twitter, at at A. Seitzwald, and also on NBC News. Have a great, great Thursday, folks. Come back and see us again tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.